God's so good. Okay, Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. We've been in a series called Empowered. In the first four chapters, five chapters, we found the church is filled with the Spirit. The church is being added to and multiplying. Miracles and generosity are breaking out. And then in chapter 5, the fear of the Lord comes on the church. A purity and holiness comes on the church because God killed a couple people, but that's sometimes needed. And... uh, God's the problem, not me, all right. More, more salvations continue, miracles continue, and the church goes to another level. Now, last week I made a statement. Uh, if Satan can destroy, if Satan can't destroy the church from without, he will try to destroy the church from within. And so he's the father of division, divisiveness, and he tries to conquer churches, families, communities, and nations through division, but God always works in unity, God always works in love, so this week, we see a church problem that comes up, so I want to talk to you about being empowered uh, for service to share the gospel, but how many know the enemy wants to stop the gospel from going forward, so what happens is I'll tell you in a minute, let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever else you have your Bible on, let's make our prayer declaration together, say this with me, This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all that says I can do. I can be all that says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys ought to all be like him over there, I'm just saying. All right, so here we are in Acts chapter six. We'll begin in verse one. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. It's about food. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen or Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and I'll, there are five other names there, all right? So, who, verse six, so they sat before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So we see great multiplying through service. Now, what causes church problems? Lots of things, but let me give you the number one thing that caused the church problem here. You can write down the, name, or the, the word growth. Growth. You'd say growth should never cause problems. Let me ask you this. 
When your baby turned into a teenager, did their growth cause you problems? <laughs> yes. After Harbor City Church started here, things settled down to an average attendance of about 120 to 150. By the way, we're averaging right around 500 uh, or so now, and that's great growth. But uh, I want you to know, back in the days when there was less people, things were easy for Lois, myself, and Lynn. Then we added Pastor Wes for our youth, and the, we worked closely with the city church in, in Kirkland, and they took care of our uh, finances and payroll. Life was good. Life was easy. As a, as a church uh, and as a staff, we prayed for growth. We believed that God wanted to add to our numbers. So, but in the meantime, we ate together. We had potlucks together on Wednesday nights and Sundays after church, and we had one service, and we had no problem getting children's workers, and it was just, life was good. We had cops on Wednesday nights, which meant kids of purpose like Awanas. The problems came, though, when we started growing. Now, I know it's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem. And every time the church grows, problems that arise need to be addressed. So today, I want to talk to you again about empowered to serve so you can share the gospel. And I just want you to know, if you're serving, you're here not just to serve. It's not a job. It's an opportunity so you can share the gospel. And I have found we are a work in progress here at Arbor City Church. Sometimes you pray prayers, and you don't realize when you pray those prayers the problems that will come when those prayers are answered. So that, that was what was happening in this new church in the book of Acts. With their prayers came growth, and with the growth came problems. Proverbs 14.4 says this, Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. In the New Living, it says it this way, Without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. A message, I like it this way, it says, no cattle, no crops. A good harvest requires a strong ox for the plow. So it's kind of an oxymoron here. This verse translation is saying this, to get anything done, you need people, but with people comes crap. That's the real translation. The more people, the more crap. But it's worth it because when you get a harvest, it's worth it. You can look and just say, what the Lord has done. And so with the crap comes, we need more workers for city kids. We need more staffing to be addressed. We need more help with the worship teams. We need ushers and door greeters. We need janitorial services. You don't know the kind of message you make in the bathrooms back there. Maybe Len knows for sure. Building maintenance needs to be addressed because where there is no oxen or where there is no people, there aren't any messes. But where there are, there are messes. So a couple perceptions that come when a church begins to experience growth. Here's the first one. A perception that there's a lack of concern for people. They're too big now. They don't care about me. They don't care about people. Some perceive that with growth, they have now become invisible to the pastor and everyone else. Now, I want you to know nothing could be further from the truth. I want you to know I care about every one of you, but I could walk by you and not even notice you because my, my wife will tell you I'm a one-track man. When I'm focused on her, not anything else. When I'm watching sports, 
nothing else. She can talk to me and say, you didn't hear me, and I didn't hear. And she's still talking. I still didn't hear. But there you go. So what happens, I just want you to know, nothing could be further from the truth. I care about you, but I'm telling you, unless you've got me looking right in your eyes and I'm reading your lips, I may not see you, okay? I'm not trying to be standoffish. I'm not trying to, I'm not one of those pastors that think, I'm better than you are and I stand on this platform and all that kind of stuff. I'm not like that. I'm not untouchable. I try to be as touchable as I can. But I want you to know, people, people care, but sometimes we just don't know it because sometimes we've stopped caring for other people. Okay, here's the second one, expectations. There's also an expectation that thinks, well, you're the pastor and you ought to be the one to fix the problem. That's what these people were thinking. You're the apostles taking the problem to you. And I'm sure some of you have felt that way towards me, and you, you, you need to know something. I'm not the only pastor here. We have three pastors. I hired them on purpose so that you could know this. It's not Doug's fault. It's Doug Cameron's and Jimmy's fault. <laughs> and I love the way the disciples uh, fix this problem because They do what they're supposed to do and delegate it to the people who can meet the need. So as a pastor, I I can hear some of the original 120 members saying to the apostles, it's just not like it used to be. You're absolutely right. It will never be like it used to be if you want growth. I've had some people say to me, smaller is better. It's better because you get attention the way you want it. But I'm telling you, God's into growth. He's into people getting saved. People, some people, people are taking my seat. Like it's a special seat with your name on it. Just saying. Or, I can't believe Pastor Doug wants to replace the orange vinyl. I, 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 I don't know why you want to replace it. I love that orange vinyl. It's been here 55, 60 years. I'm t- it's time to replace the vinyl. May God move on your hearts. We need $17,000 to get the job done. We have 20000 committed. We just got to meet it. So 17 people, $1,000. Raise your hand right now. Just Okay. I can't believe they put coffee holders on the back of the chairs. And then how many would say that's okay? Yeah. No excuse for making a mess with spilled coffee. Just saying. Okay. So a complaint rose up against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, that's Hebrews against the Greeks, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So there's this internal conflict, uh, one group of women against another group of women. Just to th- just remember, the div- division started with the women's ministry. Just a thought. <laughs> just kidding, not here. Nothing would get done without the women in this church. I'm just saying, okay. I hate to say it, but it's true. (laughs) Okay, so let's see how they solved the problem. Verse two, then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, that they, uh, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. This is the first time in the New Testament church that the word disciple is used. Uh, at the beginning, uh, organizing was very simple. There were apostles and there were disciples. 
And so it was easy to just uh, figure out the two. And in the Gospels, there were lots of disciples, by the way. Uh, You can find out there were 12 that were chosen to be apostles, but there were hundreds of disciples. So at the beginning, you have the apostles and groups of disciples. But notice they were complaining because the widows were neglected in the daily distribution of food. And it seems that in the early church in Jerusalem, uh, many men were unemployed, many women had lost their husbands. And so uh, the early church started a food distribution ministry. I mean, that's a good thing to have, especially in these days. But as the problem arose, another group believed that one was getting more food than the other. And so let me just say this statement. When When the food ministry started out as a blessing, it has now become an entitlement. And that's what happens in a lot of churches. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that. So here's a key. Let me just say this. Let's say there was a lack of concern, but the problem was made much worse by complaining about the problem. You need to know God hates complainers. He does. Look it up in Proverbs chapter 6. He gives a list of seven things he hates, and the last one he says, those who sow discord among the brethren. If you've got a complaint, go to the one who can fix it. Don't complain to everybody else. If you don't like me replacing the vinyl, come talk to me, okay? Anyway, believe me, I, I've read, you should read this story. It's just Google church splits. And you can, they've, they've split over carpet. They split over the organ versus the piano. They, they split over the personality of the pastor. They, they, they've split over who got on the board and who didn't get on the board. I mean, it's just dumb. And Satan knows how to get in there. So verse four says uh, this, here's the priority. We will give ourselves to continue to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So these guys have grown and they've helped uh, um, mature in a way that they've realized, you know what, we're not distributors of, of natural food, we're now distributors of physical or spiritual food. So they, they have become uh, more mature and they also learned this, I can't do what God's called me to do and try to please people. I'm going to please God, and then if people don't like it, that's the way it is. And because it's not, listen, it's not easy for those who are called by God to study the word of God, and then they get distracted by other things. So two things pastors must never, ever quit doing. I'm talking leaders as well. You must never quit prayer, quit just being in prayer, and quit studying the word of God. Verses five and six. So this proposal pleased the whole church. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip and the rest. And they presented these men to the apostles, and they laid hands on them and prayed over them and imparted what was on them and in them on them. And they gave them seven men full of good reputation. And uh, just just so you know, reputation is, is observed over time full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. You can be smart, you can be knowledgeable and not wise. The right application of knowledge is wisdom. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and they chose Philip. Now, uh, I just want you to know, this is where uh, really this part of Acts st- uh, kind of ends because the gospel 
In, in Acts 1.8, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So far, the gospel had only been preached in Jerusalem. So he, God's going to find a way to get the, the, to get the gospel out to other places. You can write this down. Every disciple has a ministry. So when they brought them to the disciples, they put that anointing on them, and now they're anointed. Now get this. These guys were men of faith, full of faith, full of wisdom, and they're anointed for food ministry. Some of us would say, well, I don't want to be in the food ministry. That's not very significant. You need to know this. God made you and I for service, no matter what. And so verse 7 says this. If everybody does their part, everybody gets in their place, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So as this ends, God's getting ready to spread uh, the gospel into the other parts of the earth, all right? So we've seen them witness in Jerusalem and now it's gonna go out. Now, on your, this is not on your notes, but you should write this down. This is the definition of ministry. Serving others for the purpose of extending the kingdom of God or serving others for the purpose of advancing God's kingdom. So in chapter eight, Philip goes to Gaza uh, and uh, Caesarea and Samaria to fulfill his ministry of food distribution. I think that's pretty interesting. So he's the, you need to know, he's one of the original disciples, one of the apostles, and he gets in the food ministry. He could have said, why did you choose me to be a food distributor? Why can't I be like Peter and, and John and James? Why do they get to stay and I have to go out and do this food ministry? By the way, all seven of the names that were picked to serve food distribution were Greeks. I think it's interesting because guess who was complaining? The Greeks. Just so you know, if you're complaining, then God will use you to fix the problem. Come on. I have people come to me all the time and they get ready to complain. And I say, okay, if you're going to complain, what are you going to do to fix it? If, you're not, if you don't have any idea how to fix it, then don't complain. Because if you're complaining, I'm going to say to you, now you're delegated to fix the problem. All right, so... There you go. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. So uh, these, these Greek guys get picked and they go out. So he goes to, uh, to uh, Samaria. And again, the word disciple, let me just tell you what a disciple is. This is not on your notes. A disciple is one who follows Jesus closely and gives their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's you and I. Once you become a Christian, you become a disciple, a disciplined one who follows Jesus closely, gives their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They lay down their agenda and follow Jesus anywhere and everywhere he asks them to go because of what he did for them. That's a disciple. So every believer, uh, every disciple has a ministry. And let me just say, it's not what you do, but why you do it and who you do it for. It's your attitude and behind everything you do. And I don't think you've lived your best life until you discover the purpose that God created you for and then live it out. So how do you find your role? How do you find your place? Write this down. Just get busy doing it. 
Just get busy doing something. It's a process of discovery. So that happens, and we remember this. So in me. God doesn't steer parked cars. When people say, this needs to be done, that needs to be done, I'm always saying, what are you doing to fix it? What are you doing to serve in that situation? So get busy doing something. So here's what happens with with Philip in in, uh, fulfilling his food distribution ministry. He's empowered to serve, to share the gospel. And in this chapter, in verse uh, chapter 8, it it goes from good to worse. Uh, The disciples are dispersed because of persecution. And... uh, and then the disciples keep preaching Jesus anyway, and the gospel keeps multiplying uh, people into the church. Philip ends up in Samaria. He preaches the gospel, does many signs and wonders. He casts out demons, and impure spirits come out with screeches, and the lame are healed, and many are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to pick this chapter up in verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road of the, uh, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. By the way, for lunch, how many in here are 12 and under? Anyone in here 12 and under? Okay, I see a couple hands. For fun today, at lunch, ask your father what a eunuch is. That'll be a great discussion for you. All right. <laughs> okay, uh, where was uh, an important official <laughs> in charge of all the treasury of the Candate, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting his he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading from Isaiah the prophet, and he says, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I? Uh, Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of the scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before its shears is silent. And so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Then the eunuch looked at Philip And he said, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I think that's amazing. So instead of becoming an expositor, instead of becoming a theologian, he just simply tells him Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look here, is water, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip, was bap- and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took him away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the, the Star Trek beginning of, de, of teleportation right here. This is the first time in history that it happens. So Kirk and Spock, you know, they dematerialize and then materialize on the wrong planet. And they have to, anyway. Okay, so the eunuch is called by theologian as a significant man or the official 
But for fun today, again, you can have a great discussion over lunch. But the reason I tell you that, the significant man is because he was the right-hand man of the queen of Ethiopia. So at this time, Ethiopia and Egypt were the wealthiest nations on the earth, and all the gold, precious metals, and the expensive, expensive fabrics came from Ethiopia. So here's a guy, I want you to, here's a guy pretty much running a nation, and God uses Philip to share the gospel with this guy. Now you need to know this. The gospel had never gone this far before. The Ethiopian official was the first person from the continent of Africa to receive the gospel. That's amazing. God uses Philip, a guy in the feeding program, to share the word of God to reach a nation. Never underestimate your, uh, people. Never underestimate people behind the scenes who are working and giving their hearts to it, and you don't, un- don't underestimate their significance. You know, Billy Graham, the story behind Billy Graham was about ins- insignificant people. He got saved because of a shoe salesman selling shoes to a guy in a store, and he asked the guy about his spiritual condition. The guy did not know Christ. He led him to Christ. That guy goes to church, and he becomes a Sunday school teacher and leads Billy Graham to the Lord. Now, talk about insignificant, but how many know they're mighty? And I just want you to know that this is the fulfillment of God using people's lives to go to the far ends of the earth. And he tells them, you'll be my witnesses. And I just want you to know, we have a lot more witnesses coming out of this place. Not only we're going to Mexico, we're going to go to Uganda. We've been to Cuba. We're going to continue to go to Bulgaria and other countries in the near future. And I just want you to know, get on a mission trip. It will change your life. And I, I also want to say this. If you can't share the gospel here, you're not going to be very good over there. So start sharing the gospel here and now. You need to know this. You are a son and daughter of God. You are a king and a priest. You have the high calling of God on your life. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are significant. You are special. You have a calling. You have a mantle. And uh, uh, I just want you to know, you are called to make a difference for eternity. Don't shrink back from God's call on your life. Now, The enemy will lie to you. The enemy will tell you, if I could just have a mic and get up on the platform, then I could make a difference. If I could just preach like Pastor Jimmy or Pastor Cameron or Mindy and have a microphone, I would be somebody. I'd make a difference. Or if I could could just sing like, like Jen or Sean or Melissa, then I could really make a difference. I just want you to know, comparison, again, is a deception from the enemy. You be who God made you to be, and don't ever think that... Whatever job you're doing is insignificant. Your responsibility for contentment and fulfillment is this. Stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane, sis. Be who God made you to be and then find out what it is. If you don't know, I just want you to know, start being his mouthpiece. Start being his hands. Be an offering. Be a free lunch. Be a prophetic voice to someone. Encourage them and you will be satisfied and fulfilled on this planet. Now, sharing the gospel is our great commission. And oftentimes I have this thought, so what? Whatever I'm sharing, that's what I call the so what factor. If I get up here, and I try to explain the Greek and the Hebrew and the numerology and the hermeneutics and the homiletics, which I don't know a lot about, but I study it. Eschatology, when is Jesus coming back? And you say, so what? Because you say this, so what? 
I appreciate the knowledge, but my marriage is hurting. My family is hurting. I, I need a healing. I can't pay the rent. That's what matters to me. So the so what factor of telling you today of what I'm telling you today is you have a commission, a great commission to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the answer to everything. Just give it time. And what I found is if we, if we don't have what Stephen and Philip had and the rest of those guys had, we're going to be a, we're going to have a pretty small circle of being able to share the gospel with people. Now, Here's how it works with most of us. I love me. I love me some more. I love my wife. I love my family. I love my daughters. I love my sons-in-law. I love my grandchildren. I love my parents and my, my brothers and my sisters. But beyond them, we have a very small circle of friends. And the older you get, the smaller your circle becomes with your friends. I did a funeral yesterday, a lady that made a huge difference in hundreds if not thousands of people's lives. She was 87, and she had 25 people at her funeral. She outlived all of her friends. That's the way it works. So, Philip, unless you, unless you have what these guys had, you know, your life's not going to make any difference. You'll run out of sharing the gospel and not care. But Philip was empowered to serve, to share the gospel. Here's how. Three things. Number one, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can't stop loving people. God loves the unlovable. He reaches the unreachable, and he calls you to get out of your comfort zone and do something for your king and eternity. So the first thing we need to do is be filled with the Spirit. Now listen, there's nothing more fulfilling and rewarding than being used by God. It's amazing. And even in the smallest way, why? Because that is what you were born and designed to do for God. So, uh, and here's, here's the thing. I've been in, on a lot of deathbeds with people, and I have, I've never heard them talk about their status, their titles, their wealth, their extra homes, their extra boats, their extra cars, or how much money they had in the bank. You know what they talk about? Jesus. Their relationship with Jesus, or they don't know the Lord. Or, and the second thing is their investment uh, in eternity. How many, did I, I didn't need, a, I've heard people say, I didn't lead enough people to Jesus. And lastly, their investment in their family. Beyond, and let me say those again, three things that matter the most, my relationship with Christ, my investment in eternity, and my investment in my family. Beyond those, none of it matters. So I want to encourage you today by the spirit of the living God, live your life as an investment for the things of eternity, the things that matter. So on your notes, it's Romans 1.16 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So you get, you should be proud to share the good news. Gospel means, in the Greek, the back half of the word, uh, alion, it's in galion, but alion is where we get our English word angel. And it's, uh, what is an angel? An angel is a sent messenger. Now track with me. The gospel means that, that, that means a message that was sent, and it is in its basic form, it means the good news or the good story that's sent through the people of God. And you are an angel from God every time you share the good news of Jesus Christ. So people who come to church, they may not like 
church, they actually think the church is bad news. Like, I don't measure up. I don't fit in. I feel condemned. I'm broken, all that stuff. I just want you to know, the bad press about the church is not true. The church is a great place to bring a friend. I hope you guys all feel like I could bring an unsafe friend to this house. And he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the children of God. And what he does is when you, when you find Christ, he takes all your sh- sin, your shame, your uh, failure and brokenness, and he took it all upon himself. I don't earn it. It's all by his grace, and uh, you can't measure up. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, what's your story? Be ready to share your story. Number two, Philip was led and empowered by the Holy, he was led by the Spirit. So he was empowered to serve and to share the gospel, and he was led by the Spirit. We have an option every day of our lives to choose how we're gonna be led by the Spirit or led by our flesh. Galatians 5 tells us, don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, but be filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. So uh, some think that being led by the Spirit is like uh, kind of spooky and weird, you know, ooh. Where are, the, where, where are the angels out there? It's almost like they're high on pot, you know, and they're, they're ooh. I, 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 just, I just want you to know that nothing could be further from the truth. That's not what it is. It's just saying, okay, God, I think you're telling me to go here or there. And look where God, by the Spirit, led Philip. Here's a picture. That desert road right there is the road from, God, from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he leads him there, takes him out there, and I'm sure he said, Lord, of all places, why did you lead me here? Some of, my, my, some of you might have thought, why, Lord, did you lead me to Grace Harbor? Why did you lead me to this place? And I just want you to know, because God's in charge, and what might look like a wilderness led Philip to the heart of a person that was already prepared. So think about this. I, I, Here's, here's Philip, he gets on that road and he sees a chariot and he starts running down the road and catches up with the chariot, looks, and here's this guy reading, by the way, they read out loud back in those days and uh, they didn't read quietly. And as they're reading, they would always lean into it. So he's reading Isaiah 53 and he's leaning like this. And Philip goes, what you doing? As he's running to try, then he goes, uh, I'm reading from the book of Isaiah, and, and, and Peter or, uh, Philip says, hey, you want me to tell you what, you're, what it's about? He goes, yeah, can you tell me? Get on in here. He stops the chariot. Philip gets up there, and he gets probably a fresh drink of water or whatever else, and, uh, and then he tells this guy all about Jesus. And I, I just want you to know, this guy was on a religious journey. He'd already been to Jerusalem. That's how he got the book of Isaiah. He'd been there looking for God, didn't find him. He's on his way back, and God sends him Philip. That's what God is going to do with you and me. Here's a third thing. He was obedient to the Spirit. So many times, we don't want to do what God, God wants us to do. Now, I've given you a choice today to serve. You've been created to serve. You've been gifted to serve. But you have a choice. You can say, this is my body. This is my time. I can do with it what I want to do, and I don't have to do anything else because obedience is a daily decision. Obedience is an option. And I want you to know that churches that grow, churches that have problems, are because people obeyed the Holy Spirit. So he obeys the Holy Spirit 
He says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And the Holy Spirit, I want you to know, if you pray that every day, not my will, but your will be done, he will lead you into moments where you will realize, I might have an option, but I choose his will. And I want other people to come to know him. So he leads him to that chariot. This man gets saved. Then he gets baptized in water. And guess what? The gospel went into Ethiopia, all because he was filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and obeyed the Spirit. Let's stand. So Philip gets the ministry of reconciliation. I just want to read to you some verses here that talk about reconciliation because reconciliation means to present an exchange and return to favor. So what, what uh, he does, what Philip does is he shares with this man how he can return to Christ and find God's favor. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5. Read it with me on the screen. We believe that Christ died for all. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. This means that everyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Stop. You've been given the task. Everybody has it to be a reconciler. Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's the gospel. That's what it is, the great exchange. Okay, every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know how you came in here today. I don't know where you're at, but I know this. I'm gonna ask you to make a commitment to Christ in just a moment. Today, you might have come in here and said, I've got to exchange some stuff. Here's how it works. You bring your brokenness and he gives you his healing. You bring your, your sin and your shame, he gives you forgiveness and he gives you a future and he makes you right standing with God. You bring your failures and he helps you discover your purpose and the reason why you're here. It's the best exchange pro program on the face of the earth. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. So if that's you this morning, you need to be reconciled to God. You need to exchange all your junk for God's love and righteousness and forgiveness. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Don't care what anybody else thinks. If you need Jesus in your life, raise him high. Don't care what anybody else thinks. Keep him up. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Come on. Nine. That's awesome. There might be more, and I missed you, but God sees it. So pray this prayer with me together. Everybody, we, we, you believe in your heart, and you confess it with your mouth, and we're here to help you grow in Christ. Say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son 
Jesus to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my failures. Come into my life and be my Savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my King. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand. All right. Prayer workers, come on up. We're going to still sing a song. I know I'm a little late, but we'll make it work.